Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School podcast. This is episode 145. I have a guest for you today. I am joined by the delicious Teresa Peeler. Teresa is the founder of Living Root Wellness. She is an independent health researcher and brain rewiring coach. She's also a trauma-informed EFT tapping coach. And she focuses on supporting people with chronic illness, nervous system restoration, and trauma. She helps the stuck become unstuck through emotional freedom technique or EFT, nervous system regulation and brain rewiring so they can find meaning and happiness in their life. I connected with Teresa through my dear friends, Kitty Blumfield and Libby Westcombe. Teresa has profoundly changed the life of Kitty uh, through her work. Today, in our podcast episode, we talk about Teresa's story. She has a very powerful story, one that saw her on the brink of death, suffering and just existing in this dark hole of hopelessness to living a full life of passion in a healthy and functioning body. She was diagnosed with Lyme disease and co-infections, Epstein-Barr virus, heavy metal and mold toxicity, SIBO, candida, chronic fatigue, insulin resistance, the list goes on and on. And she set out on a journey to heal herself sustainably and find beauty in that process when traditional treatments failed, when the Western model failed her. And now she does this for her work. She helps people that feel this sense of hopelessness, that feel so stuck uh, when it comes to the relationship that they have with their body and their mind. And she uses uh, so many very cool tools, uh, one of them being EFT. So today we talk a lot about emotional freedom technique and she's created a course called Tapping with Tea. So in the episode, you'll discover Teresa's story, how she healed her body sustainably and found meaning and happiness in her life. We talk about how we can start to trust ourselves and our bodies more, the relationship between our thoughts and our body, how to create a safe nervous system, why uh, our stories that are limiting and shameful can keep us stuck, somatic experience and healing, why imagining is important to help us change. We talk about EFT, what it is and how it works. Uh, And then we talk about Teresa's work and her tapping course. There's so much more in this. Uh, She was an epic episode. We went for an hour and a half. Uh, She is a divine human that has this energy that penetrates just into your soul, into your body. It was such a cool conversation. Uh, And I really hope you enjoy this episode with Teresa Peeler on how to change your story so you can change your life. Welcome to the Warrior School podcast, the podcast for women who train. I believe following a plan that works with your body and has a timeline of years is the future of women's training. I also believe women can train hard. 
We just need to learn how to do it in a respectful way. So Warrior, this is your go-to show for practical information on training, nutrition, hormones, and performance. Myself and tons of experts will help you create a training strategy that works with your body and gets results. I am your teacher, Amy Bow, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. I love that. Ready to rumble. <laughs> I Welcome. feel like it's a good way to start a podcast. Yeah, just already <laughs> rumbling. I no, I love it. Already rolling, already yeah. in the arena, going for it. We are. We're just yeah. gonna we're just gonna kick it off. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the Warrior School podcast. Thanks, Amy. I've been looking forward to this all week. So thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you today. And I thought we could start with your story. Like I love story and I love to know the dots that brought someone to where they are in their life and in their work. Like, why do you do what you do? Yeah. So I try to, every time I find myself retelling the story, I find that I'm rewriting it because for the longest time, I think what has propelled me into this line of work was that I was telling the story that I was sick, that I was broken, that I was different, that I wasn't going to survive to live the life that I wanted to. And if I start from the beginning, I truly feel like I came into this world already frazzled. And, you know, we know there's a huge imprint that our parents have on us, especially our moms and what the environment is like while we're developing in the womb. So I was a very timid and anxious kid. And I think that just snowballed over the years. And I just started going downhill physically and mentally. I just always felt weak, tired. I kind of thought it was normal. Even in the back of my head, I was wondering, is this what every human experiences? Is everyone kind of looking at the world, feeling overwhelmed and defeated and hopeless? And I mean, and I'm serious when I say that. I can think back to as far as second grade, just feeling like, why are we all here? What's the point of this? So clearly there was something brewing from a very young age. And to fast forward a little bit, I kind of got swept away by the Western and functional medicine world when I finally thought we had figured it out. And it started off as kind of, oh, Lyme disease and co-infections. And as you're probably familiar, the functional and naturopathic world, they like their testing. So it quickly turned into, okay, heavy metal, heavy metal toxicity. Oh, you've had toxic mold exposure. Oh, wow. You have tapeworms and Giardia and E. coli, and you have the hormones of a postmenopausal woman. Oh, and you have an anxiety disorder. So not only was I swallowed by this sense of, oh my gosh, everything is wrong with me. There was a sense of validation, absolutely, thinking, okay, we found a reason why I feel so miserable, but it was as if the diagnoses and that binder of lab tests shifted something in my brain where all of a sudden 
I could not function. I started experiencing pretty debilitating panic attacks. I couldn't think about anything that wasn't health related because I mean, it come it, looking back now, I know it was coming from the place of wanting so badly to feel better. I wanted to get back to what I thought was a normal life. And my normal life in my head was, you know, having energy, being able to train, being able to hike, feeling good, having normal function, which I did not have. The more that I went down this route of trying to treat and kill the Lyme disease, to detox the mold, to cleanse the parasites, to excrete the heavy metals, it turned me into a 79 pound ET version of a human. So <laughs> what really led me to where I am now is realizing in probably my lowest point of this whole journey, realizing that these doctors were not going to save me. And I had created so many of my own problems by assuming I'd ne never get better, by assuming that my life would end shortly. And, you know, some of that was very, I'm, I don't, I don't have any hard feelings for that version of myself, but realizing that the kind of like the toxic nature of my thoughts was only compounding my state, I started to dive more into, okay, what would it do for me to shift what I focus on? What would it do for me to change what I think about? What if I, maybe I don't believe I could heal still in that place of not believing I could get better. What if I just paint it as a possibility? And that kind of catapulted me into the world of brain rewiring and self-hypnosis. And I mean, even just the power of language a little bit into the neuro-linguistic reprogramming and just our ability to change our stories and then have that beautiful physiological shift as well. So Amy, does that answer your question in a winding way? <gasps> There's just so much in that. I love your description at the start where, and I haven't ever heard it framed that way. I felt like I came into this world frazzled. <laughs> like I just felt like I came in and I was upside down and I was back to front and like nothing made sense and everything was hard. Yeah, yeah I think. That to me, that was really powerful. Like I felt that like deep inside of that sense of like, you know, imagine already just coming into the world and just feeling that way. And then being on this constant search for years and years and years to try and make sense of like, yeah, that, that feeling. So I just wanted to highlight that I've never heard it framed that way. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that can just be like, yes, I feel like I've just, I came into the world as well. And I was like upside down and, and it's just been hard for them, like right from the start. Um, yeah. So I think that's really, really powerful. The other thing that I loved in that story was, you know, you carrying around your binder of like test yeah. results. I'm just imagining this university like binder, <laughs> like that is so thick and heavy that weighs like a textbook, but you're literally feeling the weight of that inside you, not just like the weight that you're holding it, but it's like inside the body. <laughs> Yes. And Amy, that was exactly it. It felt like there was no escape. It felt like that binder was this cage of sickness. And 
I remember flipping through it in a brain fogged, depleted state and just in tears wondering, what do I tackle first? I have all of these things wrong with me. I have zero energy. What do I tackle first? And again, I think that's, you know, if anyone's listening and they're in that situation, that's when I like to just lean back. The first thing to tackle is to put the binder away and to start to bring back that. I love that you're laughing, but really, if, if I could go back and redo it now, and it's part of what I'm trying to give back now is coming back to that nervous system, coming back to creating a sense of safety, coming back to a sense of hope, a sense of purpose. Then from that more, maybe a wider perspective, we can start to address the body with a sense of love versus a sense of panic, which doesn't seem to lead us anywhere good. Yeah, so when you were feeling just that the sense of like hopelessness and and just lost and there was just so much overwhelm and confusion and and there was so much essentially wrong and I put that you know in air quotation marks you had this binder I am so fascinated by this this shift that you that you made did you just wake up one day and think I got to think about this shit differently. Like what, what happened there? Because, and I want to get into like how you help people do this. Cause I know you work with people that feel this sense of like hopelessness, like they're never going to get better. And tell me about that. I'm so fascinated. Thanks for asking. It's, it actually, it is good for me to reflect on because the more I think about it, it was I would say it was a critical like three month period. And it was, I was just finishing up a, have you heard of hyperthermia treatments for Lyme disease specifically? No. So it's, it's kind of like a last resort treatment where they, you're under anesthesia, they heat the body up to 107 degrees Fahrenheit while pumping you full of antibiotics for, yeah, for four hours. So you're basically being cooked in an oven The idea, I know, the idea is that it can help the body get a hold on whatever infections it has. So it's it's really popular in the Lyme world. And it was what felt like my last hope because at this point I was surviving off of physician's elemental formula. It's basically a pre-digested formula for people that have lost GI function. So it's the idea is that it's absorbed right at the very top portion of the GI tract. So you barely have to have any energetic ability to absorb this. It's enough to keep people alive that are kind of in critical condition. So anyways, I had put my hope in this treatment being the thing that would get me better. And I did two rounds of it thinking, okay, this is going to be it. It was, you know, it was what felt like the last, the last thing on the list of what could help me. And I got home from the hospital and I was weaker than ever before. I remember I couldn't even lift myself out of bed without just feeling like my whole body was crumbling. It was, it was a terrifying time. And that was probably the most important time because I remember thinking, okay, I'm done. And it wasn't like this reckless, like I'm done. I'm ready to leave this world. While I did feel that many times leading up to this, it was more of this. Okay. I've given it my best and 
you know, I've learned a lot of lessons here, but I'm done fighting. And Amy, I kid you not, and I'm kind of getting chills retelling this. There was something that shifted in that three-ish month period of just kind of existing. I was not doing well. I could literally barely do anything. And all of a sudden, I started to look around the world and I kept hearing that little chatter in my head say, but wait, I still want to stay here. And my husband had taken a leave of absence from work at the time to help me, just to literally help me through the day. And just having his company created more of that feeling of, wait a second, I want to stay here. I'm not ready to go yet. So it was almost like in that surrender, then that inner warrior was like, okay, recharge, supercharge. I'm ready to rumble back to the rumbling. And it, and it wasn't this aggressive, like need to find the next doctor need to do the next treatment. It was more of like, okay, I'll, I'll see what's going to come next. I'll figure out what I'm going to do next. And while I wouldn't recommend this to clients, I ended up finding the carnivore diet and that stabilized me. And it was such a nice break from drinking these lab made formulas and while I, again, did not enjoy just eating straight meat and fat, something in me started to repair. I was able to regain 20% of my body weight in just a couple of months. And it just built from there. And then, you know, I started to find out more about Ray Pete through Danny Roddy, because I know he has a history of carnivore. And it was just like things just started stacking up. And the healthier I became and the more the more data I had that the body was healing, that my body was healing and that my, I felt like my thoughts were becoming more sturdy and more grounded and more hopeful and more optimistic. It just all built from there. And I would say, really, it was this inspiration of thinking, okay, if I could find my way out of this mess, I want to help other people because I, I know it's a very common story where people feel like the Western model is letting them down or they feel like they've been damaged by Western medicine, even naturopathic medicine. And not to, not to hate on that, but if someone falls into that category and they're not getting better and they're starting to lose hope, that's where I like to say, okay, there's another way. And yes, you might have to change some of your thoughts. Yes, you might have to change your role in this story, but there is another way. Yeah, from from the story, what I hear is that there had to be some physiological nervous system support there for then the mind to think about the thoughts and the stories. And this, you know, I worked in the eating disorder space for quite a long time. And so when someone is very unwell, very undernourished, Mm-hmm. it's really hard to work with them because their mind does not work. You just don't have the fuel so that the brain can't function properly yeah. to be able to do the work. So the first stage when they're that severely malnourished is to get them nourished. So then we can start to actually work with the mind and the thoughts. So from just hearing your story, that's one thing that popped out for me is like, okay, you were, I didn't know you were that sick, actually. Like, I didn't know you were so sick and unwell and, and (laughs) underweight and malnourished. But the shift for you was like finding a way of eating that worked for you then. Yeah. And just starting to nourish the body a bit and, and get some, get some fuel. So into the brain. So then you started to look at 
the the story or the thoughts. Am I hearing that right? You know, understanding it now, I think it was absolutely that. Like, as you know, when you when your body is breaking down, your thoughts are matching that physiology, like like you just touched on. And I think there was also that aspect of, wait, I want to stay here. So as soon as I found the carnivore diet, no joke, I was eating about 3000 calories a day of just pure meat and fat as a 79 pound woman, it was uncomfortable. It felt awful. I was, I don't think I've ever been that bloated from just that much food, but again, that kind of determination where I'm like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I haven't tried this yet. I've heard success stories of people, you know, overcoming all sorts of chronic mystery illnesses with this, I'm going to do it. And yes. And then I think as soon as my body started absorbing that nutrition, I mean, probably a lot of the nutrients that I was completely lacking in from all of the restrictive diets I had been on that were promised to heal the Lyme's disease. Cause I think that's an aspect of this in the, in the functional and naturopathic world carbs are the devil for Lyme disease. Sugar is the devil. And it's, you know, the, the diets that they offer, they, I can recognize how some of the foods would be healing, but it, it creates more of that restrictive, fearful, paranoid, and sick mindset where, you know, food is just, it just warps what food could be and what food really is. So a lot of it too, was just unlearning and releasing everything that had been told to me and starting over. Yeah. Can you talk about how you, how you work through that? Because for a lot of people, a lot of women to unlearn and release a lot of uh, the rules or the information from the culture, or if they've been through illnesses and have been put on certain protocols to unlearn that, uh, and lean into starting to understand your body and build trust with it. And like, how do you do that? <laughs> it takes time. And I think it's, it starts with acknowledging and voicing all of the beliefs that you do have. If you have absorbed the belief that sugar is toxic, that carbs are toxic, that eat, eating more than 1400 calories is dangerous, all of these things that I know women have absorbed from our culture. It starts by saying that and just understanding, okay, these are, these are the thoughts I believe. And if we can start there, then starting to shift into, okay, how is this impacting me? Are there costs here? Does this really line up with my experience? Part of this too, for me was realizing, okay, I tried it their way. I tried the GAPS diet. I tried the specific carbohydrate diet. I tried the AIP paleo diet. I tried the fruitarian diet and I felt worse. So it was starting to get to this point where I'm like, okay, who do I want to trust in all of this? Do I want to trust these outside voices telling me how to live or can I start to trust my internal data? And I think why that's difficult for so many people is because we've been taught to shut that down and just to have people tell us what to do. And it can be really scary to think about not doing that. And again, no shame to anyone, but I think we've all been kind of duped into thinking someone knows better. That person over there, 
in that position, they know better versus what's it actually like in your body? What does it feel like? What thoughts does it create? Is it helping you along the path of living the life that you dream of creating a life that you'll be proud to look back on when it's all said and done. So I tapping is one of the tools I use to help. Oh, I I can see you're excited to help rewire that because when in the clinical trials, they find that it can actually help to reprogram some of those deeply held thoughts and beliefs. So if someone is really struggling to release those food stories, even though they know rationally and logically, they don't want to be stuck in them. That can be an effective modality for actually adopting a new thought pattern in terms of, okay, well, what if I want to think about food as nourishment, food that gives me energy to do the things I love, gives me the brain energy to have amazing conversations with people across the world. That's when I start to use tapping to really help help shift these stories in people. Yeah. And the, the tapping stuff, did this come from like your research? You mentioned that you started to get super curious and interested in the brain and the thoughts and how we can rewire it and have different thoughts or create a different story. Because what I find in my work, it's the stories that we tell ourselves about how hard it's going to be, how we won't be able to do it, that actually stop us that create the fear that create all these really big emotions uh and so i'd love to to i I totally want to talk about the tapping as a tool but can you just take us through a little bit of your story around this curiosity and this learning about the brain and how do we how do we create different stories and different thoughts because it's yeah A great question. And I think that's something that's woven throughout my life. I've always been interested in behavior. And even I think part of noticing that I felt different and maybe saw the world through what didn't feel like a helpful lens and then saw my peers thriving and excited about life and energetic and, you know, fearless from a really early age, I remember just kind of I really liked people watching. I liked trying to understand, wait a second, what led to that and them? What created that potential? How did their parents impact this? All of these contributing factors. And over the years started to get interested in, again, our role in this. So I took a dive into meditation and that was probably, this was back in high school, actually. My first experience noticing, oh, when I change what's happening in my body, my thoughts change. When I change what's happening with my thoughts, my body changes. And then I can't remember when it was, but I remember Joe Dispenza Mm. came up in my, just, you know, in my content consumption and learning more about the power of the brain to kind of defy medicine and to heal itself against all odds. And then again, that opened up more of my interest into, okay, how could this apply to me? Because over the years, even before the Lyme and and all of the diagnoses, I wanted to feel better. I was already trying to improve myself. And, you know, some of the things I tried maybe were not the, uh, the most sustainable, like as a very type A and anxious human, I found freedom and escape through long distance running, mm. which at the time it was my therapy. It, it, 
it did something for me. And now looking back, I, I think, oh my gosh, that was probably just adding more depletion to an already depleted person. But again, more of that experience of the power of the brain, I'd get this euphoria. I would, I remember being on long runs and just, I wouldn't even be thinking of anything. It was like, my body was in its own plane and just something was clicking and I hadn't escaped from what felt like an overwhelming world. So fast forwarding a little bit, I was working with a coach who specializes in self-hypnosis and EFT. And she was taking me through these sessions. And I kid you not, it was the first, I would say that they were the first experiences I had of just feeling like I was in control again. Not once with a doctor or a practitioner did I ever feel like I could take a part in my healing aside from taking their supplements, doing their protocols, being strict with my diet. But there was something about those sessions where it all, it just shifted something so profound for me. So that was my entry point in. And when I was really, really at the kind of crux in, or like the, what feels like the climax of this story, that was what kept me stable. I, I was meeting with her weekly and, you know, in my bouts of hopelessness and fear and overwhelm, those were the sessions that grounded me and I think truly kind of synergized with the work I was doing with, I mean, just replenishing with the carnivore diet, mm. allowing the brain to really remodel. And I think just because it was such an intense time, my brain felt very plastic. I'm like, okay, I can grasp onto anything right now. What story do I, if I could get to completely start over, what stories do I want to choose? So yeah, that's really that's really what led to all of this. I really like that bit. If I got to choose, what stories would I then write? I don't even think that we pause to ask that question. Like if I had a choice, you know, what would be those stories? Like who do I want to be? Mm -hmm. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. <laughs> when, when did you start asking those? Because I, I know you are really into re rewriting and, you know, choosing perspectives wisely and choosing perspectives that are empowering and, you know, are just in inspiring to live out. When did you start to think about that in your own life? That's a, it's a really great question. And I have spent some time thinking about it before. One of the key moments I can remember is I, I was in a terrible relationship uh, in 2011 or 12. Mm -hmm. And I found the work of Brené Brown and Esther Perel and I watched their TED Talks mm -hmm. and I thought, this is extremely interesting, this concept of vulnerability and communication and just doing things differently looking at things differently um and that that's probably one key moment that <clears throat> I, I can think of that just starts started to make me think a little bit differently around 
how we communicate and how we think about things. And that's when I became very fascinated with certain concepts or ideas. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've been a coach now for 14 years and I've just had thousands and thousands and thousands of conversations. And I think after, you know, hundreds and thousands of conversations, it just you start to really ask these questions. It starts, you, you're, you become a very deep thinker because you're, you're trying to help someone shift something or move through something. And one, it does, that approach doesn't work or that language doesn't work or that way doesn't work. And you're like, okay, that's like really interesting. Like why, why didn't that work? There's like, there's friction or resistance. And then you have to think, okay, what's a different way? How can I look at it differently? How could I lead them differently? And I think you just do that for so long. And then basically, it's so funny, Carson, my partner, I I pretty much live in silence. So I don't listen to a lot of things. I don't consume a lot of things. I just like think, like think deeply. And a lot of it is around like communication and like reframing thoughts and reframing language. And it's mostly because of the women that I work with. And we can get into it today. Just they're so stuck. And I even get really emotional just talking about it because they're just, they're stuck and they're frustrated and they're overwhelmed and they're exhausted. And they have like, you know, I used to believe that they didn't know what they wanted. And that's why they were seduced by all of these things. I don't believe that anymore. I believe that they know what they want. They're just they're just seduced by all of these things and they don't know how to get it. And they're so stuck. And I just became so fascinated. Like, why? Like, why are we really stuck? And it always came back to the mind. Like it's the the body, I believe is amazing. The body can do amazing things, but it's the mind that stops us. So, yeah. Yeah, Amy, we can take, we can jump from that in a hundred different directions. And you just reminded me, I remember another critical aspect of kind of really inviting the mind back in was when I realized I was so upset with my body for letting me down. I was so upset that it had gotten sick and gotten all these infections and parasites and metals and mold and all of the things that I had collected. And back to the power of the brain, it was almost like this out of body experience when I was like, oh my gosh. I've been attacking the one ally that has been fighting on my behalf nonstop this entire time. And it was like a a complete switch where I all of a sudden thought, oh my goodness, sweetie, I am so sorry. We're in this together. Thank you for doing everything you've been doing to keep me alive. And since that point, it's been like, I've been holding hands with my body, like as my best friend. And as you were speaking, I was just thinking, I think so many of us have, like you said, been seduced into thinking that the body's the enemy. The body's not doing a good enough job. If we have this problem, it's the body's fault versus wait a second, what's the opportunity here? What, what might the body be asking for as if it's this innocent child in a way, asking for support, love, recognition. I mean, even just tenderness, so much of what I see causing a lot of the brain issues is that 
we've never taken the time to maybe offer ourselves the love and compassion that we kind of are waiting for someone else to give us versus, mm-hmm. okay, can we, can we be that person for ourselves? And that might kind of, that might sound a little far out there, but I feel like, again, kind of like what we were talking about before we started recording, starting with that relationship with yourself, with your body, you can build everything from there. I mean, even in terms of your romantic relationships, your friendships, if that's solid and built with respect and love and kindness, you can do anything. (laughs) You can do anything. Yes. Yeah. And I, yeah, before we started recording, we're talking just about this idea of, you know, the relationship to yourself and, and I think that time that I mentioned in the story around when I was not in a great intimate relationship, I started to become, and it, I could probably take it back even further to like my childhood and my family relationships, but that was probably one key moment where I started to become very fascinated with relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we talk about relationships, so often we just think of our relationship that we have you know, with our intimate partner or, you know, maybe the relationship that we have with our family, but there we are in relationship with everything in our life. There is some form of relationship there. And I'm so fascinated by our relationship that we have with ourselves Mm -hmm. and our body. Because for me, I feel like I've always had this very powerful relationship with my body and myself And I I have spent time trying to think about like, where did that come from? Did it come from, you know, starting gymnastics when I was three and like exploring my body and learning how to use my body? And, And then I played sport and I was an athlete my entire life. I was just trying to think, and I don't know if you can speak to this a little more powerfully around you know, when someone has a really powerful and strong relationship to themselves and their body, like, where do you think that that comes from and that's developed? And then if someone really struggles with the relationship with themselves and their body and there's no trust there and like, yeah, I'm not sure what my question is, but. Well, the first thing that actually came to mind because I I noticed this trend and again, not saying it's this case for everyone, but those early life relationships with our caregivers really imprint on us. And when I see and hear from women who talk about how their moms were always dieting and always poking at themselves and saying they're fat and shaming themselves or criticizing other women's bodies, those tend to be the clients that have internalized those same stories of shame, bringing it back to Brene Brown for a moment. And not to say that they truly believe it because I think rationally they know, oh my gosh, this doesn't feel like, this doesn't feel sustainable. This doesn't feel kind. This doesn't even feel like me, but something in them, I think grasp onto that because again, we're learning these stories from our caregivers we learn to see the world through that lens. That's how we start to make sense. Like you said, how we relate to everything. We're kind of just like sponges as little ones. And when I see people that have this sense of confidence and trust, more often than not, they had some kind of role model delivering that as a possibility. Mm. And again, it's not so, it's not so cause and effect here, but 
I mean, what do you tend to notice? I, I'm, I'm curious if, if you can maybe help me put this together in a, in a, in a more beautiful way. Yeah, I think, you know, and what comes to mind for me is that I was raised in a household where my mother was constantly dieting and there was wow. um, negative uh, language around weight, shape and size. And my sister endured anorexia nervosa. So my sister actually got very sick for a long time. And again, this is when uh, another key moment in my life, talking about the dots and the stories, uh, this is when I became extremely fascinated with our relationship with food because I saw my sister endure anorexia nervosa for years and years. And so totally, I think our environment that we were raised in, our caregivers, the language, the role modeling plays a huge part. I've worked with women that, you know, were put on diets when they were eight or nine years old, uh, and so they, the the diet and the, the, uh, that culture and that language and the patterning has been laid down from such a young age. Uh, and so, yeah, I would, I would totally agree with you is the, the environment. Yes. And thinking about that, even just understanding how a very chaotic childhood environment, they, the survival attempt is to find something to control, to find a sense of safety. And that might be food, that might be restricting food, that might be becoming obsessed with over-exercising to feel a sense of safety. Because I think with a lot of these so-called disorders, what we really need to look at is what's, what, was the, what was the organism trying to escape from or to correct I don't see it as, oh, this person, mm, you know, they just created that or they chose that thinking, okay, what did life maybe push them towards? How can we maybe look at other possibilities here? How can we maybe start to shift into something that would feel better, that isn't so reactionary and more feels like you're, yeah, a little bit more intentional. Yeah, there's one one thing that I do with the women that I work with when they have like this story or this belief, they have essentially like fear, fear that they're going to fail, fear that, you know, they're not worthy or they can't do it. We go and we look for evidence. And this evidence is looking for times in their life where they've done hard things, where they have had an unhelpful story or, you know, they've been afraid but they, you know, we look at the situation and we look at what happened there. You know, how did you, for a lot of women I work with, they're mums. And so one of the, the pieces of evidence that we go looking for is, okay, tell me about the experience of like when you first got pregnant and like, were you, and a lot of them are like, I was terrified because I didn't know what I was how I, I didn't know how to be a mom and I didn't know what to do. And then he's like, my baby, okay. And like all of these stories and this fear and, you know, am I going to fail at it comes up. And so it's a really powerful piece of evidence. And then we look at, okay, well, what, you know, what helped you through that? Like, did you have a wise council, you know, a board of directors that like had a different role that like helped supported you through that experience? Like, and so I love, and I don't know if you kind of do something similar in your work, but you know, when someone is feeling really stuck and they have a story and they're so afraid and how do you help them through that? Like, how do you, yeah, what's the work look like for, for you? So 
great question because that's my favorite that's my favorite place to start because it's almost like shaking a pebble loose out of like you said that stuck place but i think that's where i really think somatic experiencing is helpful because if someone can really feel what it feels like to be stuck really locate that even the sensation in their body any stories images beliefs that that brings up then i start to gently ask questions about okay well how would you like to feel? How do you want to feel if there weren't limitations? If you got this blank slate, what, what would you actually want to create here? And most people know right away, and maybe their brain cuts them off and says, but that's not, a, that's impossible, or I could never do that. Gently bring it back to the feeling. And then again, back to that kind of somatic experiencing. Okay, in this feeling state, in this scenario that you've just mapped out as the ideal, What's this doing for you as you imagine yourself moving through your day, your life in what might feel like impossible, but ideal? What is this opening up? How do you feel in your body now? How, how has your posture changed now? How do you see the world now? And most people, that's enough to start the motion, start the rumbling, because all of a sudden, even if there is still doubt about the possibility, that's fine. We don't have to get rid of that. We can, you know, work on that in different ways, but if they can start to imagine how they'd like to be, then we can start to build on that. And again, bringing it back to the tapping, just kind of convincing the brain, Hey, like you just said, what are the data points that make this actually feel like a better and maybe safer option than staying stuck? Because you could stay stuck. Probably most of those people wouldn't be hiring either of us, but that's a possibility we're not here to tell anyone that they have to change, but if they want to change, okay, let's start imagining. Let's get very clear on the details. And the how is less important. I think sometimes, okay, coming up with a game plan can be helpful, but what, what I talk about a lot, actually my husband helped me kind of map this into words, but it's kind of like, you know where you want to go, you know the feeling, you know maybe the images and some of the details, if we start aiming in that direction, just start taking baby steps in that direction, you can course correct along the way, mm. but it's much better to start to shift in that direction than to just stay put because that's not going to get you anywhere. Yes. I love that. Uh, for me, the way I see that is vision. What's mm. your vision? What's your vision for your life? Yes. What's your vision? How do you want to feel? I asked my women all of like this all of the time. And what comes up for me when you're explaining that, and I'd love the, the somatic experience, is that experience through the visual, visualization? Does the visualization? So I, you know, and I didn't mean to cut you off, Amy, but it's more of like, so when you were describing that kind of stuck state, say someone has a story that's really limited or fearful or you know, shameful, doubtful, whatever story is playing out in their head. I, I want someone to really feel it in their tissues. Mm. So a lot of people, when they're, when they're playing out a story of shame and impossibility, they might feel like they're hunched over. They might feel small. Their stomach might tighten. I mean, a lot of people even just feel kind of feel like they're caving in on themselves versus when you ask someone, okay, how do you want to feel as you go through about, go about your day? And they talk about wanting to feel 
energized and playful and they want to feel sexy. They want to feel strong. They want to feel magnetic. I'll ask them, okay, let's feel that for a moment. What does that feel like? And it's as if the body holds some of the wisdom there, the body naturally takes on the shape of maybe standing up taller. It almost feels like it's more muscular or feels more expansive. So that's just another entry point almost to imprint. Okay. What is this? Like you were saying this vision, what does it feel like? And then bringing in the imagery. Okay. Now what do you see? What kind of stories are playing out? And have you looked into the work of Byron Katie at all? No, but I've heard, I've heard of it. Yes. She's amazing in the sense that she's really talking about, I mean, again, how the stories we play out in our mind dictate how we experience life and how you can literally flip a story in the moment to be one that serves you. So a lot of that too, is just playing around with, okay, what are the images that I want? It doesn't matter if you think they're impossible or not. Let's just play around with, what do you want to feel? Okay what's what's coming to mind now what do you see yourself doing how how would other people feel around you in that moment in that more ideal state and it's kind of like a it feels like a very exploratory and playful process because i think most people as soon as you start providing what could be it's like the brain gets so excited mm. and you can't it's almost like you can't look back you can't say stay stuck at that point because all of this gold is waiting for you over here. And it, it just starts with imagining, like you mentioned, that vision. Yeah. Is it kind of like opening up possibility? I would say so, because in a stuck place, it's like, well, there's no such thing as possibility because this is where I am. This is who I am. This is how my body looks. This is my relationship with my body, with movement, with my partner. That's just how it is. Okay. Are you open to maybe there being another story here, another perspective? Are you open to having many perspectives here? Who says that's the only way of looking at things right now? Yeah. So when, you know, there you're doing this experience and there, you know, the somatic work and the seeing of the pictures and mm -hmm. what's like, where do you take that journey? Like how, like, you were talking about tapping and maybe we can tie in the tapping work now around like, you know, let's go into like, what is it? Like, why, why do you use it? How's it helpful? How does it link yes. in with all of this stuff? So it's the, it's referred to as tapping, but it's also commonly known as EFT or the emotional freedom technique. And essentially what the clinical trials show is that it frees the brain from having the habitual response to a certain trigger or I mean, even a triggering thought pattern. So it's based on acupressure points and you're basically stating, following going through phrases while touching on specific points to almost discharge or lower the intensity of a certain stuck thought so that we can gently invite in those possibilities. So I would say for anyone that maybe feels like they logically and rationally know that the stories they're telling themselves or the reactions they're having to certain triggers in life no longer feel helpful. That's when I will start to use tapping to really think about, okay, well, how would you like to react in this moment? If you didn't have to be triggered, if you didn't have to shut down, if you didn't have to 
you know, get upset with your partner, if you didn't have to have a panic attack, how would you like to respond? So in the leading portion of the sequence, we will use some of that imagery while tapping on the points and kind of feeling and experiencing and imagining, okay, well, what's the, what do I want to choose instead? What do I want to create instead? And Amy, I was so skeptical about this technique until I started to feel the difference on myself, because that is what allowed me to start imagining myself someday far off in the future, healthy, muscular, alive, capable, able to do whatever I wanted, able to eat whatever I wanted, able to, I mean, truly live a life that felt free and meaningful and creative. It was all through tapping that helped it finally sink in because I knew I wanted that, but it, I think the, the, the voice of, well, that's impossible, not for you, that's for other people. You're here to work and you know, it's not about being happy. It's not about enjoying your life. Those stories were so strong, but tapping is what helped to free them. So I'd say that's when really, that's when I find it to open up those shifts when something just needs to be released. The, the framework is simple. It's kind of stating how you feel, how you think, what you believe, what are those, what is coming up? If you, if you're not holding anything back, what are the stories? And then, you know, giving yourself permission to feel them and then gently shifting to, okay, well, what's, what's the silver lining behind this? What's this actually showing me about what I care about? Okay. How can I, like you were talking about, how can I relate to this differently? What if this little voice of doubt isn't here to hold me back or to keep me small? What if it's actually what inspires me to keep becoming a better and better coach, to keep expanding my tool set, to find those creative ways to help those outlier clients. That's where I see the beauty again. So maybe the next time you hear that voice, it'll be, oh, okay. Hey, hey there. Thank you for reminding me why I do what I do, why I love what I do, why the art of coaching is so alive in the sense that you're always expanding what you're offering. And I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. So I'm glad that you have that voice yeah. because, you know, I think it's when people say, yep, I'm the best and I'm done and I know everything then they're closed off to having maybe new ideas or new, new entry points to helping people. Yeah. What a cool practice. It, I do think it's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you have created something really cool with yeah, the practice. That, so that's been like the, that's been the baby of the summer. It's been a, it's been a very focused summer, but yeah, we just launched the tapping with T app. And I'm so excited about it because the goal is just, I release a new video every week, but I, I really want it to be just such an extensive library that everyone can find the videos that they need to really work on those limiting thoughts or fearful, whatever they are. I mean, a lot of these thoughts form from trauma, from experiences, from these absorbed stories. And I think when you can start to experience life with out the weight of that, like you described that heavy binder, all of a sudden we are free to start to play more with life and to, you know, really take a, an active role in life. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit more about it? So, I mean, right. It's, you can use it on your phone, the, the beauty of an app, but it's broken down into specific categories. So there's body image and confidence there's more like the chronic 
illness category for flare-ups. Uh, I think a lot of the fear, food fears, even body fears, not trusting the body. That's something we dive into a lot. There's a sleep section. There's a pregnancy, postpartum, trying to conceive section. I mean, really, we're just trying to, I'm trying to build it out to be as, as helpful as possible. So the goal is really to, again, address what might be limiting someone in terms of their own thinking and to provide that sense of, okay, well, can we look at it this way? Can we look at it, look at it through a more loving and compassionate lens? What would that look like to live your life through that lens instead of the stuck and maybe more fearful lens? So yeah, simple, not too complicated, but yeah, hope simple, effective, and easy to use. <laughs> I love that word. I really love that word, simple. Mm-hmm. I, yes. it's, <laughs> Me too. It is. It's a really powerful word. Uh, because <laughs> we just really love to complicate the shit out of everything. Yes. And, you know, I've had people say, so all I have to do is follow along to your videos and tap on my face and repeat after you. I'm like, that's all you have to do, but don't take my word for it. Try it and see how you feel. Because I, I think there are some people that are like, I don't know how I feel about tapping. That's great. Try something else. I mean, it's just one of those mind body tools. It's some people refer to it as the cousin of EMDR, but I'd say it kind of fits between self-hypnosis, EMDR and um, neuro-linguistic reprogramming. So whatever, whatever people are familiar with, but it's, yeah, essentially just a simple brain rewiring technique. And I, Amy, I love that you emphasize that because we are conditioned to think that harder is better. And if we're not struggling and if we're not sore and if we're not exhausted, then we didn't do it right. But the nervous system tends to be more pliable when it feels safe, when it feels like play, when it feels accessible. So that's what I'm after. And again, if people yawn, if people feel better, if people feel more hopeful or just feel inspired all of a sudden, to me, that's, that's the direction we want to follow. We don't want to go down the, you know, just break yourself down and torture yourself more. I can't see that being helpful anymore. Yeah. It's, um, you know, we, we often need to like take away, you know, we need to keep coming back to your story. Like you held on to that last thing of like, okay, this is like the last tool in the toolbox. And now shit, my toolbox is empty. (laughs) And of course, being in that black hole in that pit is, you know, it's a terrible place to be and that hopelessness and, and, but it's like the, it was empty it was empty and it had space and it was a simple toolbox now because it didn't have a million different screws and nails and hammers and like, you know, just keep, I just imagining the Mary Poppins, like just like pulling things out of, and it's just, it was a blank. It was just this blank toolbox. And then the creating of the space can sometimes allow us to then move forward. And so this whole idea of it's simple it like it's it's got to be simple because yes. you've tried not simple you've tried everything but yeah. <laughs> simple yeah. yes you've tried everything but 
just sitting and breathing or doing some tapping or just going mm-hmm. for a walk. Like it sounds so unsexy and simple, but <laughs> there's magic in simple. Uh, yeah. And I'm all for like doing hard things, you know, especially when it comes to training. I believe we can train hard in a respectful way, but we've got to earn the right to get there. And I can tell you, because I've done it, that it's simple. <laughs> like the I'm... building of the foundation is simple to get to the top of the pyramid, which is like the hard, fun, sexy things. So, yeah. You make me think of even just the metaphor of like a, an Olympic lift. Like if you just watch that, it's simple. Yes, there's so much skill and training and muscle and nervous system support happening in that moment but the actual thing is just so simple and beautiful and I yeah I think that framework can be helpful I I always like to think about okay what's simple and also what's sustainable what like what just what just makes sense if you're thinking about living a long beautiful life and a life that feels good moment to moment again not saying there aren't going to be hard moments but thinking about those dominant feelings you want to create that can help clarify some of this winding, winding. Yeah. I guess, you know, what comes up for me and I'd love to hear what you think about this is so often by the time that the women come to work with me, they've been, they've spent years or decades, like undernourished, like working against their body. They're tired they're so effing tired. And then I tell them, Hey, we've got to take the long way home. Like, you know, we've got to do simple things and we've got to build and, you know, this long way home concept creates so much friction in them. You know, my methodology, my training method of like stripping everything back and going so slow and focusing on stability and mobility and body weight strength, like that creates so much friction with them because, They just want to get there because they've been trying to get there for so long and they're just (laughs) exhausted. Yeah. Can you, I'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts on that and how you support someone through that. Cause I get it. You know, I get when you've been in pain, chronic pain for years, or you've been, you know, trying to be in a body that feels better and looks better, functions better, and you just can't get there. Mm -hmm. It's so tough. You know, and I think rationally, they, they might even know like, okay, I can't just speed up and be at the Olympic lift. I need to meet my body where I'm at, even though I'm, you know, even though I wish I could do that, but I think it can be helpful to think about someone else. Think about someone that you love and imagine them exhausted, depleted, and then thinking, what would you want for them? Would you want them to push themselves and take the short way home and be and you know really dig even deeper into that hole of depletion or when you think about someone you love that you really want to you know help them rebuild and find that sustainable way home what 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 would you offer them what wisdom would you offer them and most people can answer very pretty quickly of course i would want them to take the gentle long way home and to take their time and to be wise and I think, um, I think that can be a, a sneaky entry point in and then asking them, okay, so imagine offering that same wisdom to yourself. And I think a lot of it is learning to take your own advice to really think about, wait a second, I would so easily offer that to someone I care about. 
okay, what would it, what would it feel like to offer that to myself? And I mean, if they're still attached to just speeding up and, you know, rushing through the process, you know, maybe they, they can work with a different coach and that's, that's still an option, you know, but it can, it can take that experience of pushing and, and trying to take shortcuts over and over again to realize, okay, mm, it's not working. And then finally getting to that point back to the surrender of, okay, I tried it that way. I tried, I tried to speed everything up and make my body behave a certain way. Now I'm finally ready to take the sustainable long way home. So I think again, people, people need to be met with where they're at, but I think they also need to be honest (laughs) with what's going to work and what's the most loving thing for their body because a depleted, tired, exhausted body does not need to be pushed more. Not Mm -hmm. yet needs to be, you know, replenished first. (laughs) Yeah. One thing that comes up when you're speaking is, you know, this wanting, the wanting to get there, the wanting to feel well and healthy and, um, you know, maybe even wanting to be in a body that looks and feels different. But then I think we can have those wants, but then there's what do we need right now? What's the need here? And the need is may not be the thing that's going to get you to what you want like quick right now but I think because we you haven't been listening to the need you've got to stop and listen to the need what does the body need right now and if we can do that then we're going to move towards this direction of getting what we want or feeling how we want to feel but I feel like there's just such resistance of like, just letting the need come through. Yeah. And I think the resistance, if we don't even problematize that and let the resistance be there, but still think about, okay, well, what's the need? Because what you just reminded me of is I remember talking to a client and she was so upset that she couldn't train. She had COVID and was completely depleted and she all she wanted was to get back to her training program and and I know we're smiling but thinking okay what what is the need is the need to stress your body out even more or is the need to tend to yourself to rest so that you can get back to your training sustainably so I think not not removing the frustration because of course that's, that's a normal response to anyone that loves training, that loves feeling active, that loves feeling healthy, or, you know, wants to continue progressing in a certain way. And okay, you're allowed to be frustrating, but what's the wisest option here? (laughs) Yeah. 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 There's like a few things that I think of. It's like, we need this awareness piece. You know, we need to be aware. Yeah. We need to be aware of these, like, thoughts and the stories and you know the wants and like what our body actually needs we need to be aware of like the state of our body the nervous system and our biofeedback there's like this awareness piece then there is like the actual work of okay taking the action for like what I need right now like what's gonna help me right now the the way I talk about it with my women is like you're always in the practice it's not this all or nothing if you're not training it doesn't mean that you're not doing anything (laughs) like you're not in the practice 
you're always in the practice. And part of that is, what do I need right now that will allow me to get back to training? It's okay that you want to get back to training. I think that's totally fine, but you got to attend to the need right now. Um, Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think it takes a level of honesty too and compassion. And that's why if we haven't learned to give ourselves compassion, that's where I think, again, it can be helpful to think about, okay, like your daughter, think of your daughter, what would you want her to do in this moment? Or what kind of, what kind of story would you like to imprint on her? If she were depleted and exhausted, would you want her to push through? Or would you want her to think about that moment and thinking about really what, what, what is the need in that moment? So yeah, just sneaky entry points yeah, for I the like, complicated clients. <laughs> yeah, I really like that you've brought that up a couple of times of thinking of someone that you love, thinking of a different person. Um, isn't it fascinating that we can do that for others, but we cannot yep. <laughs> do it for ourselves? Why do you think that is? I I wonder this all the time because, you know, it's and I, and I see the beauty and, you know, you, you lean on a good friend for support and they, they know exactly what to say. They say the right thing and you just feel amazing. And then maybe you flip that around. They lean on you one day and you're able to tell them exactly how you feel the most loving, beautiful thing. I think it's more about the fact that we need other, other humans, that we aren't meant to just do this alone. While it's great to learn to offer that to ourselves, we need each other. You know, it's as simple as that. So I think it's, yeah, kind of, that's my theory, just reminding us to stay in community, to stay in relation. And if we get to the point where we can offer ourselves that loving, compassionate, wise advice, amazing. But I think that happens through relationship when we feel Mm -hmm. how good it feels to be cared for by a partner, by a friend, by a, a mom, what, whoever it is, whatever it is. So, yeah. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, I really, no, I really love that. Uh, and the way I've been talking about it lately is, and it came from, this concept came from a friend, but, you know, who's at your table, you know, who's at your table and what seat do they sit in? What role do they have? But we need a table, you know, we need to fill the room with other amazing women, like fill your room with people, not just women, just people that are you know, inspiring that belong at your table that are going to help you and support you Uh, because we can't do it alone. I do not believe that at all. You know, I've had, I have an amazing table and I think I've always kind of thought about that as well. Like, who do I want to be in a room with? Who do I want to be surrounded by? Like, who do I want at my table that's going to help me and support me? Basically like a wise counsel. You know, we need a wise counsel because yeah. like we were just talking about, we cannot, we, we struggle to do it for ourselves. We just like, mm-hmm. we can't, yeah, we can't do that. And then if we get to be in relationship and we have these people that can help us, it's really powerful. There's one thing that I I wanted to finish on is because, you know, I believe that all of this work is 
way harder if we don't have a strong nervous system or if we aren't in the work of keeping our nervous system strong. And I say this so much, like if you want powerful relationships, the first thing we got to do is we got to have a pretty strong nervous system. Yeah. If you want to train, we got to have a strong nervous system. If you want to work through old trauma, we got to have a pretty strong nervous system to do that. And we've got to be in the work of keeping it strong if you want to keep doing the work. So can you just speak to that a little bit? I, I think tending to the nervous system and even kind of noticing the nature of it, noticing when do you feel most balanced? When do you feel grounded? When do you feel at peace? What is truly relaxing? Not Instagram relaxation or scrolling or what someone is telling you to do to relax or to recover, but what do you find truly to settle you, to soften you? I think learning to come back to that regularly and learning through contrast, when are you thrown off? What throws you off? Who throws you off? What's your role in this? What's your environment's role in this? And learning the tools that work for you to come back to somewhere close to that baseline of what, again, just feels grounded. And I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do this, but I think for a lot of people, especially, I mean, if they're carrying a lot of stress a lot of trauma, if they're underfed, if they're underslept, it's harder to, it is harder to get back to that baseline. So that's where that self-kindness, that compassion comes in and really being honest with, okay, well, what do I need right now? What is essential right now? What am I willing to let go of? Am I even willing to take the time to tend to my nervous system? I think it's I mean, maybe we, we are biased because we've experienced what it's like to be thrown off or to live in such a way that isn't sustainable. But I think, yeah, kind of learning the art of nervous system maintenance will then allow you to do what you want to do. So if you can start to rank that as more of a priority, you'll get that, like you said, that biofeedback. Oh, okay. I have more energy. Wow. I, I recover more easily. Oh my gosh. I communicate better. Wow. I think more clearly. It's, it's almost self, um, self-rewarding self in, in a sense where the nervous system, we tend to that, we feel better, and then we want to keep tending, tending, tending to it mm. because life is so much better when that is solid. Yeah. It's, um, it can be hard if we've never felt a certain way or done a certain thing. It's like, it's, it can be hard to believe, to believe in that way. And it's not only until we go through the experience and then, you know, we've, we learn things that we're like, oh yeah, okay, no better. I could do better. It's so, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's a, a really important thing that sometimes I think we know that we're aware. Of, I think we're aware of it, but I think it drops down sometimes the the importance of actually holding the nervous system strong and like being able to regulate the self and nourish the self and like it really like it is the base yeah. <laughs> you know if we and don't I I understand too I I'm sure some people are listening well I don't have time I have you know three kids I work two jobs I'm you know tr- just trying to survive I don't have time and bringing it back to the simple. It doesn't have to be like an eight hour practice. Well, you know, we know it's all practice. The entire, your life is the practice, but thinking of the smallest ways that at least can soften you. It could be as simple as unclenching your jaw, 
and softening your belly and slowing down your exhale, just convincing or nudging the ner- nervous system back to a more regulated state. That, if that's all you have time for, that's beautiful. It doesn't, there's no, you know, I don't think there's, there has to be a cookie cutter or even like a gold standard here. It's okay. You're taking the time, you're recognizing, you're honest, you're setting the intention to tend to yourself. Wonderful. That's, that's a great starting place. Yeah. I like how you brought that up. It's, it's really important. Like the other day with one of the women that I work with, one thing that we're doing at the moment is just for her to look out the window just to take her eyes away from her screen and just just to gaze out the window. And she just had um, a lot a story around how she thought the people around her in her workspace would think that she was lazy or she wasn't doing work because she was looking out the window. And we've done a little bit of work, but it can be as simple as that. And we just start with a minute, just spend a minute and just let your gaze look outside and so yeah it doesn't have to be this massive big like I'm a very anti-morning routine type of person you know (laughs) like I'm not a I'm not a get up and have this certain thing and sit there and meditate and breathe and do this like my thing is I just walk my dog one because he has to shit (laughs) and yes like I love it like obviously I love walking and it becomes a practice that I do but I'm so anti those big routines because they just create more stress on us that maybe just like look out the friggin' window. <laughs> well, Amy, you said, you said it right there. It wasn't even that she didn't have time. It was that she was worried that someone was going to judge her. Yes. So again, the mind is the biggest problem there. It's like, okay, well, without that fear, if you're not worried about someone judging you now, what now can you look out that window and if we can even replace that story of, so what? They'll judge me, (laughs) you know? Oh, so what? All of a sudden I'm more productive and I'm feeling better. And maybe they're inspired to look out the window too. Really, it all comes back to the brain. I mean, yes, we're biased, but that's, I think that's a perfect example of, well, okay, let them judge me. I'm going to stare out the window, get that wide view in my eyes, engage (laughs) that parasympathetic response. This is my life. Don't tell me what to do. (laughs) That's what I thought. I thought, screw them. I'd be like, I'd be looking out the window for more than a minute as well. (laughs) I'd actually be going outside. But again, you know, like we just, it's, we have to slowly um, unwrap that. And this is why I love what you do. And I love your work. And I love that you've created tapping with tea and, you know, the, the, the de-layering of the onion, you know, and sometimes it is starting small by looking out the window for a minute and just being curious, like, you know, why do I even have that thought? Like, why am I afraid that they're going to think that I'm lazy or they're going to judge me? Like, where does that come from? Like, is that a story you even tell yourself? Like, yes. And to unpack that, I think is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. Most people, I think, and not necessarily, but I'd say more often than not, people can remember being told, oh, you're lazy as a kid. Or if you're not, I mean, so many stories start so early and we don't even realize as adults that we are still acting from that place of fear, from that place of, they might think this about me. I might let them down. All of those moments 
And I think it's our responsibility, like you said, to, I mean, even if we don't know where they came from, if we can't pinpoint where they came from, it is our responsibility to unlearn them, to release them because Mm -hmm. as fearful and timid, and I mean, as, as humans that doubt and feel, feel like we're not worthy, feel like we're not capable we're imprinting on our environment differently. If we can imprint strength and maybe uplift others to do the same, that's going to hopefully lead to some more change here. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you, have you imprinted on your environment and life in a completely different way? That- you know, I hope so. I, I feel like the plants that have with, been with me through this whole journey, I feel like they notice that I'm a different person because if I'm fully honest, I was... I was not fun to be around. I was negative. I was nasty. I was mean. I was anxious. I, I mean, I was having panic attacks multiple times a day. I was not regulating to be around. I was terrifying. And I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't hate that version of myself, but I know that my, my plants were probably like, Oh my gosh. Whereas these days I hope that's my intention to, to give off a sense of lightness, to leave a room better than I found it, to leave someone feeling more hopeful than I found them. And, you know, I can't control how they feel, but that is my intention. So thank you for asking and reminding me of that. Yes. I feel it. I feel it. I think that's why I'm so attracted to you. I feel that. Yeah. Even though where through technology and a computer screen I still you can feel it you can you can feel it and I'm so glad I'm so happy that you are here and that you are happy and that you are doing work that like lights you up and that you're surrounded by happy plants now that are thriving (laughs) that everyone's thriving yeah 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 thank you Amy yeah I'm I am truly I am truly grateful to be here and I never thought I'd get to the point of seeing the world through this lens of awe and wonder and gratitude I thought that was just for you know for someone else but it's yeah it's such a mind shift to to realize wow this is such a precious gift and it's so short going to be done in a minute. So thank goodness, you know, there's still work to do. (laughs) Yeah. I think about that a lot. I think about death a lot. Mm. Yeah. That it's just such a small amount of time. Yeah, exactly. We have here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you want to, that you want to say before we finish? Well, you just reminded me, I think, and I know we've kind of chatted about this, but I mean, to me, that's, that's the reminder. It's like, well, if our time is so short, if we're only here for a second, why not imprint beautifully? Why not offer something? Why not release those doubts? We're going to be gone soon. We are just a little blip in time. So offer what you want. I mean, choose to challenge your thoughts, choose to live in a way that you want, that you would find meaningful not what someone else is telling you to do, not what you think you should do, but really think about what is it that, I mean, what is it that you want to look back on when that day comes where it's time to say goodbye to this world? So I will leave our audience with that morbid thought and hopefully some find it inspirational. (laughs) 
No, it's, I don't think it's morbid, you know? And then I think if you do think it's that, we need to unpack that. Like, why? Why do you think that the death is morbid? Like, you know, I would have to go deeper on that. Like, I really love people. And sometimes they're just like, ah, leave it alone. Like, why do you have to undo the onion? But to me, like, why not think about it? That's what drives me a lot. It's like, I'm I'm gonna die. Like, that's, it's like, I just, this is it. So why not, why not just do it? Why not go for it? Why not have powerful relationships with everything in my life? Because Yes. And don't wait. I mean, again, a lot of people are like, okay, once I'm at this certain point in my life, then I'll relax. Then I will take time for myself. Then I will take a bath at night, whatever it is. Don't wait. We never know how much time we have. If, if that's that's the only thing I know for sure in this life, that you know, really, if you can, if you can give yourself that gift, I don't think you will will regret it. Let's finish there. Sounds it was good a to me. Pure <laughs> pleasure to have you here today to talk Likewise. with you. This was so like truly fun. I feel like we've already met at some point because it's just. I mean. I, I, I like, I tend to like most everyone I meet, but Amy, it was so easy to talk to you. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for the work that you do. It is so important. Thank you. I'm glad you think so. I think so too. (laughs) Likewise. It's so important. Yeah. And I, I'm just so excited that I know you. Likewise. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm. I would be. I would love to stay in touch. What's the best way? How do you like to stay in touch with your internet friends? Just whatever way, whatever okay. way we stay in touch. Great. Through the gram, we just do podcasts. Yeah. Sometimes we have coffee chats. Oh, you know, sometimes we could just get on and have a tea or have a coffee and let's let's I haven't done that I've never done that with I mean I've done that with like family members but I've never done that with an Instagram friend so I like that because what's stuck in my mind from today is thinking okay how how am I settling in certain relationships you know I always have a certain focus of like improving something but I didn't even think about that as an opportunity in terms of how can I deepen these friendships so thank you for that yeah. I just think if you meet great people, be in relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Something that I've been thinking a lot about, especially over the last few years, because I haven't seen my family for three years, um, mm-hmm. is creating the space or the energy. Like, why are we so crap at connecting with people sometimes? Like that's, I've just been thinking a lot about that. And, you know, I get it. Like our worlds are chaotic and messy and our nervous systems are stressed and we have no energy and like, there's a lot going on. I totally get that. But I just became really aware of like, you you got to create the space. You got to nurture to have yeah. powerful relations. You know, you can do that with your training and you can do that with your food and you can do that in all of these other areas, but why not do it with certain people that you meet mm-hmm. that like you could just create such a powerful relationship with them. I, I love that too, because I, 
it's something my husband always says, and he, he says it and I always nod and I have to take a moment, but he like something beautiful will happen. And he always says, it's all about the people. And it just, oh, cause I'm kind of an introverted person. Like I, my ideal weekend is like really chill, lots of time outside, nothing planned, nothing too scheduled. And then I'll have these moments meeting up with an old friend or meeting up with someone for coffee. And I'm like, wow, this is so precious. So again, back to the balance, but yeah, there is, there's, there's nothing like it. It, it comes down to just all of us big, big kids moving through this world, not, not, not having much time here. Why not connect? Yeah. So we will, we will do that. We'll have, um, we'll have a hot drink. I like it to call it a hot drink. You know, some people we'll have a coffee, hot... some people, you know, so we'll have a hot drink because it I will be that. winter for us soon. So yes. yes, there'll be darkness and then there will be cold and, you know, it can feel a bit hard in the North here in winter time. So we can have a hot drink. Well, together. let's, let's keep that open. And I can't wait. I, I I'm already looking forward to it, Amy. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you so much. Warrior woman. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another warrior woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, warrior woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.